If you're an adventurer, there's one place that you absolutely have to shop. There is, because there's this place called Mototomic, and they have the gas can hoodie, which when you put it on, it feels like a hug. And if you're a true adventure rider, you know that some days don't go as planned and you need a hug. But not only the gas can hoodie, Mototomic has other things too. Like what, Cappy? Like beanies, cups, stickers, t-shirts, and probably my favorite dry bag. That orange dry bag is badass. It is. Mototomic.com. Link in the description. So, Chappie, I got a confession to make. Confess to me. I've been talking to our buddy from B-Moto, Paco Pete. You know B-Moto, that shop that does really cool stuff like... Off-road performance engines and suspensions. They even can Cerakote with ceramic finishes. So the outside is just as strong as the inside. Which is awesome and brings me to my confession, Cody Proof Certification. Because Paco Pete told me they're going to take care of my engine and Cody Proof it. That's something that not too many places can say. No, definitely not. I would just suggest go over to bmoto.com and check it out. They've got some pictures of what they do. Bootiche.com. Link in the description of the podcast. Yes, because it's hard to spell, but they do good work. You're listening to the Throttled Adventures Podcast. And now, your hosts, Cody and Chappie. Hello and welcome to another episode of Throttled Adventures. Hello, hello. How are you today, Cody? I'm fantastic as usual. That's good. Ready to enter my truck into a crash-up derby tomorrow. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> well, it'd be good for me. My wife said no, though. I'm I'm sure because unless you're going to win, I don't know, twenty or thirty grand, uh, there's no replacing it. Apparently, insurance won't cover a crash-up derby, I found out, so. Ah, that's too bad. Can you tell them that Wild Bill shot it up? Or no, it wasn't Wild Bill. Who was it you went to see? Butch Cassidy. Butch Cassidy. Man, that was really cool. But no, I'm doing well, and I'm excited. We're not talking to ourselves today. We have a a new guest on. Oh, we do. introduce? Yes, we do. Uh, We have Dana here. He's an adventure writer from South Carolina. And uh, he's going to talk adventure riding with us because uh, he actually teaches people that are looking to get into adventure riding. So I'm really excited to pick in his brain. Dana, uh, thanks for joining us. It's so good to meet you and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Um, <clears throat> let's see, how much time do we have? <laughs> We've got as much time as you want. <laughs> Um, well, I got into adventure riding in about 2013. Um, I came back from Afghanistan and kind of needed something to, you know, something to get away from just normal BS of life. So I bought a, uh, an old Suzuki RM250, uh, thinking that you could take those, you know, up in the mountains of Colorado Little did I know that carbureted bikes do not run well at 14,000 feet. Yeah, I started off, you know, with a two-stroke and worked my way up to a couple four-stroke dual sports, which led to a KLR. And I did a lot of, uh, I did some pretty big trips with uh, with the KLR and even my dual sports. I mean, you name it, I probably did it. And then 
uh, in the last probably two, three years, I've gone into the bigger bike side of things where I've been riding mostly Triumph Tigers. And right now I've got a Triumph Tiger 900 Rally Pro that's currently being worked on and repaired after yes. accident. <laughs> yes, that was no fault of yours. No, not at all. <laughs> do tell, do tell. I, I must know this story. <laughs> so... I'm sure there'll be a blog entry about it. I also write a blog called striker ADV. So I'm sure you'll see a blog entry about it. Eventually about three weeks ago, friends and I went up to the, uh, the Southern Appalachians, you know, North Carolina, Georgia, and on the way back, we all came back at different times. So I'm, you know, I decided to take the interstate, which is like the one thing I almost never do, but I was like, I need to be home quick. You know, it's a four hour sprint down I 26 and I was probably two hours from home and outside Columbia, there was a, a five, six car pileup in front of me, which I managed to avoid, but the person behind me did not understand what was going on. And she rear-ended me at about 30, 35 and oh. my bike kind of did a 180 and I got high-sided and, you know, wearing the right gear, obviously saved, saved me pretty good. And I got a sprained wrist out of the deal, but yeah, it was I was pretty lucky. The bike wow. didn't get that damaged. It's not totaled. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting experience. <laughs> wow. Well, thank God you're all right. And uh, real quick while I'm thinking about it, thank you for your service, by the way. Oh, no problem. Much respect. When the bike's not uh, totaled, uh, that's usually a good thing. Oh, yeah. Especially considering how hard it is to get a Tiger 900 Rally Pro right now. <laughs> Yeah, right now is not the time to be totaling a bike. I'm glad your yeah. body's okay, though. I mean, as much as a pain to getting a new bike is, we can do that, but new bodies are tough to come by. Yeah, I hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was wearing, you know, I wear a full climb gear, and uh, I have an Arai, I wear an Arai XD4 helmet, and you know, I mean, I get the full armor and everything, and the paramedics when they got there were like, "We did not expect you to be walking around." <laughs> You know, they saw me pick wow. up my bike off the side of the highway and they're like, yeah, usually motorcycle accidents in South Carolina are a fatality because we don't have a helmet law here. Oh. And, you know, and you know the, the cruiser scene and the sport bike scene, it's, it is what it is. And they're like, yeah. yeah, we did not expect you to be walking around, picking up your bike and stuff like that. So yeah, wearing the right gear definitely helps. <laughs> and I just want to point out that, uh, you did have to replace your helmet. Oh yeah. Um, so the only damage to my gear, uh, my knees got scuffed up on my climb pants and my helmet. I actually hit the left uh, chin bar of my helmet on the pavement. So, I mean, there's a small crack in the, uh, on the outside. I'm sure there's a huge crack on the inside somewhere. But, uh, yeah, my insurance company, you know, no questions asked. I mean, I replaced my helmet, pants, gloves, everything. So, Right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And point point i wanted to make was uh if you weren't wearing a helmet uh, oh yeah yeah so there's uh we wouldn't have our guest on tonight probably <laughs> yeah probably I not mean, cody cody and i are both uh large proponents of wearing gear especially the helmet that's probably the most important and off-road riding you know boots yeah i wear it all i'm uh the deal i have with my family is i promise to storm Stormtrooper up every time I go out and ride. So <laughs> now a lot of times what I'll do in the summer here, because we get, so we have humidity, like you wouldn't believe down here. 
Same. What I do a lot of times is in the summertime, I'll ride more technical stuff where I'm going slower and I'm not on pavement. So I'll wear like a chest protector or like an armored, an armored shirt. Um, mm. And I'll still wear like my gloves and pants, boots and all that stuff. But I'll usually skip my jacket and but go with some sort of, you know, padding if I can find it. So I agree. We, we do the technical stuff. I'll wear like that. I think it's a fly. Uh, just you zip it on. It's like mesh. Yep. People make fun of me. It looks like a belly shirt because it comes up to the belly, but I don't care. It's because every time I fall off the bike onto a rock, it's, you know, the one time I don't have an elbow guard or something, that's where it gets you. So yeah. yep. the heat is a good point, you know, still, you can still protect yourself. You don't have to wear full like Gore-Tex and everything, but right. yep. I'm happy about climb. Like that's what I wear. So to hear that that helped you out. It's good for me. And I mean, I I wear the Climb to Car series. I don't wear the Badlands or um, the Carlsbad, mostly because in South Carolina, it's the Dakar is the off-road stuff, but Mm -hmm. it's it's thick enough that if with a fleece, it keeps you somewhat warm, but it's thin enough most days you can get by, you know, with all the vents open and probably – maybe two months out of the summer there's maybe a month in the summer where you're like i can't wear that at all but now nah, the the car series personally i think it's very underrated for what climb markets it for and what, what who buys it and how it's used but no nah, it's a great 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 gear great company that's excellent advice i i do the carl's bad just because that's what i have and uh yeah in august whoo baby it gets hot it's it funny you mention that because I've got a, I got a younger guy out here I've been working with who he just went out and bought Carlsbad Gore-Tex, you know, pants and jacket and all that. And the other day it was like 85 here, hundred percent humidity. He's like, man, I am sweating so bad. I'm like, well, what are you wearing? He's like, I got the Carlsbad <laughs> Gore-Tex stuff. And I'm like, you're wearing Gore-Tex in South Carolina in June. Like, come on, man. Yeah, so, it's like a yeah. like a garbage bag. <laughs> yeah, like off road, uh, the jacket. I mean, I would pitch that. Like, yeah, off road. I generally put it in the in the beaver tail. Yep. You're not going fast enough for the wind to go through those zips and stuff like that. Um, no. Up here in the northeast, we get the the heavy humidity too. You know, we get not as quite as hot as you get down there in South Carolina, but if it's like high 80s 90s with 90 to 100 percent humidity here it's pretty sticky but you know if you're on the road you can get by with the jacket and stuff but you know vented stuff that's gonna be a challenge go ahead sorry dave probably my next purchase is climb makes the i think it's the inversion it's a mesh jacket that has armor built into it and all that stuff for adventure riding and that's probably my next purchase so uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'll be looking for a blog on that to see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. So you want to give the listeners your information, like your uh, Instagram. That's how we found each other. Uh, you got an Instagram and a blog, you said. The whole concept behind Striker ADV actually started in college. I went back to school after the military. I was a uh, a business admin major and my minor was marketing. So social media marketing and all that stuff. So one of my classes is I had to make a blog and I was like, well, I'll make a blog on adventure motorcycling because it interests me. So the blog is uh, strikeradv.com. 
And I have my own Instagram page, uh, basically just striker ADV. And it's the same thing for Facebook. And what I try to do is I'm not an expert by any means. I'm not a great writer by any means, but there's people out there that are, you know, Hey, I've got 200 bucks and I need to buy a jacket. What should I buy? Well, I wrote a blog, you know, that kind of gives you the, the good, better, best of, you know, what you can get out there for adventure riding jackets. Um, uh, same thing with tires. You know, I did a blog on tires. So, you know, what I would try to do is there's riders out there that are brand new or newer. And some of the stuff you see on YouTube is very, it can be overwhelming to them. So I try to break it down. Like, Hey, this is the basics that you need to, to consider and look at, you know, don't worry about stuff that other people are doing, you know, on BMWs and, you know, multi-stratas, you know, just start small, start basic and work your way up from there. So that was the idea behind it. I love it. It's a great idea. What you said about the tires and being overwhelmed and stuff like that. It's just, it's insane because there's 90, 10 tires, there's 60, 40s, there's 70, 30s, there's 80, 20s, there's 50, 50s. And then you look at the tire and one person says it's a 50, 50, and then it's actually a 40, 60. And it's, it really is. It's like insane. Yeah. Yeah whole thing that my channel was born around was there's a million pieces of gear you can buy and a million different things. And if you sit around, you know, if I waited till I was a good rider to go, or I had the best gear to go, I'd never get on a damn adventure. So take what you've got, go out and do the darn thing. And then if you notice something sucks, Hey, my tire had no grip then that's the first thing you replace and, you know, just get out and do it and research as you go kind of was where I started from because I found myself trying to save up and and do this and I wasn't doing anything. And then I I was like, you know what, maybe I just go with what I've got and maybe I have to customize the adventure a little bit, but at least I'm out doing something, you know? Yeah. I I love kind of where you are are coming from too. That's, it's awesome. Just not getting caught crap that's one of the things i've done with some of my blog entries is right now i'm in the process of going back and writing articles for things i've done in the past and one of the blog entries that were one of my first ones was my first dual sport ride where i took a two-stroke suzuki rm250 i had a regular dirt bike helmet with goggles i had a field shear street bike jacket and hiking boots. And I decided I'm going to go right up this 13,000 foot mountain pass in Colorado. I had no tools on me. I had no, no cable back with water. Like it was a learning experience. And by the end of the day, I dropped my bike like 12 times. I broke my clutch lever. You know, my rear tire was smoked. My clutch was destroyed. But at the end of the day, I learned a lot of lessons and I had a heck of a lot of fun. I agree. Some of those are the, are the best adventures. I mean, Yep. It's easy to laugh about them after. What's Johnny say? There's three levels of fun. Three levels of fun. Level one fun. You're having fun when you're in the moment. All of Johnny's levels of fun when I ride with him are at least level two, which are fun to talk about with your buddies when you get back, <laughs> if you make it through it. And level three is kind of like, uh, I kind of call it like Vegas. Like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas type crap. You just don't talk about you might have ptsd <laughs> <laughs> the level three fun 
picking up a two stroke <laughs> is much better than picking up a GS twelve hundred. Like, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> and that's like in a lot of the guys down here is you know they buy bikes because they watch long way around or they watch things on YouTube and they go on buy all this gear and they don't know what to do with it like when they get it. So that's where I've kind of made like a little, I don't want to call a following, but it's like, Hey, you know, once a month, we're going to meet up here for a weekend at this state park. We're going to, you know, do some moto camping. There's a ton of dirt roads out here, sand roads, you know, let's go ride around and let's, you know, I'll teach you how to navigate or, you know, I've got a buddy of mine who's like a master mechanic. I don't, I didn't know how to change a tire for the longest time until about three months ago, you know, his KTM 790 blew a tire and he's like, Hey, you ever change a tire? Nope. Let's, let's, let's learn. So, but no, we do that probably about once a month. And uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's growing down here for sure. Awesome. Awesome. You're, you're having a little fun and building the community. So that's awesome, man. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And uh, before we went on air, you were telling me that uh, you, you actually take some guys out that are new to the sport and teach them how to actually ride a big adventure bike as well. Yeah. So I've got a group of, they're probably four or five guys. They're younger guys in their early to mid twenties and they're all sport bike guys. They grew up on CBRs and Jixxer 600s and ninjas and on pavement. They're great riders, (laughs) but the first time that they went off road, I mean, it's, it's kind of almost hilarious. Like we'd be riding through the national forest on pavement, you know, everyone's going, you know, 65, 70 miles an hour. The minute you hit that first dirt road, it's like watching a little kid ride his bike for the first time. They get all wobbly and they don't know what to do. So I, I've kind of got this group of guys where it's like, you know, hey, let's go into national forest and the forest roads, turn off traction control, we're turning off ABS. This is what it's like to put your bike in a slide. This is what it's like to, you know, to panic brake and why you don't grab the front brake and sand. Like oh, we yeah. we go through some drills. And after a while, you know, they're starting to, they'll start to get the concept of it. They'll start to, you know, okay, I don't have to be, I don't have to flat foot my bike. You know, I don't have to, you know, if, if I start slide, like the tail starts sliding around a corner, I don't have to panic. You know, there's simple things that we, a lot of people have learned in time that they're now learning on their own. So, I mean, yeah, they're developing their skills as riders, which I mean, to me, everyone's a not, everyone's, there's no such thing as an expert. You know, everyone's always learning something. So if you think you're an expert and you don't need to learn anything, then yeah. Yeah. They got trouble coming, but yeah, we all, and we all come from different levels. I think it's cool. You're, you're showing them around and, and getting them off the road a little bit because I know when I just had a cruiser with the wife every dirt road i drove by i mean i was like i want to be there <laughs> you know <laughs> where's that go <laughs> yeah exactly and now now we chase them down so yep we got to start somewhere and like you said some of the videos on youtube like i like graham jarvis i love to watch him but i'll never be graham jarvis um so it's intimidating and i don't I don't learn much from watching that. So I look for somebody more relatable to my level where I can learn. So I appreciate you out there teaching the quote unquote youngsters. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because 
So like Charleston, we're a college town. I mean, we have the city, we've got like two or three big schools down here. And what's interesting is, you know, a lot of these younger guys at first, you know, they're trying to pick up girls on the crotch rockets. You know, that's what you do when you're 20, 22 years old. <laughs> but what we've noticed is now they're buying, you know, CB 500 X's or Himalayans or Africa twins, or, you know, you, you name the adventure bike that's somewhat affordable. They're buying them. And you're like, that's a 22 year old kid on an Africa twin. Usually you see like, you know, older 45, 50 year old guys on those, right. but it, it's kind of interesting how the younger crowd down here is starting to get into adventure bikes. That's which, awesome. Yeah. I and mean, normally they're older, you know, late thirties to early forties into the fifties. So, but yeah, it's pretty interesting to see these younger kids on adventure bikes. I think that's cool. I just had a meeting with the the BDR people and they were saying that they wanted to attract more 20 ish and up because their demographics pretty much, I think was about 50 to 55 is the back country discovery routes demographic right now. And I was kind of like, ah, man, I mean, what, why don't you shoot for like 30? I was thinking 20 is a little low, but hearing that story, maybe, maybe they're on to something that it's cool to see the youngsters, you know? Well, speaking of BDRs, so down here, we have a, a route called the South Carolina Adventure Route. It's called the SCAR. Um, basically, <laughs> uh, it, it, it will cool give name. you scars. Yeah, that's but, a cool uh, name. That it's is a real perfect. cool name. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it's a 1,000-mile it's a loop around the state. And it's probably 60% off pavement, 40% pavement. And it's not technical at all by any means. Anyone can ride it. Um, but basically we had these little scar every two to three months, the local BMW Ducati dealer, they, they call them uh, little scar rallies and they'll pick a state park and we'll all, you know, ride up there and kind of do like, um, like a Dakar style. I don't want to call it a race, but it's like get from point A to point B to point C. And when you get to each point, you have to take a picture of a certain thing and, it's oh, kind of like yeah. a time trial, but it's not. I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, what do they call those like adventure hunts? They're uh, scavenger hunt type of thing. Yeah, it's it's something that's, like that. And if cool. you get all the points and, you know, there's prizes and all that stuff. Like, hey, here's a new climb jacket or whatever. But uh, so we started doing these every two to three months. And the first one we did was a bunch of older guys. But this last one we had a bunch of younger guys like in their mid twenties and it was, it took a lot of us by surprise. We're like, Oh, so they are coming out of the woodwork now. It's awesome. That is awesome. Sounds like a fun uh, thing. Hey, maybe we should work the scar into our trip. Chappy. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's quite a ways down. I mean, we're starting at the Virginia, North Carolina border. Uh, <laughs> a thousand miles hey. into Tomato, tomato. Yeah, well, I get two weeks. I know, I know. <laughs> and maybe the year after we'll come visit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be uh, pushing it with the two weeks. Yeah, we got your schedule full. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, um, it, it's funny you mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, I can't remember if it was while we were recording or before when we were just talking that uh, you're glad that your bike is not totaled because you wouldn't be able to get one for what'd you say like seven months? Yeah. Seven, eight months is what they're projecting right now for some of the 900 rally pros. 
when I bought my bike at the BMW dealer here, uh, they cannot keep a 350 on the showroom floor. Like the ones that are coming in are already sold. Uh, the 750s, they've got uh, like it, they put two together and put them on the floor, but before they're all put together, they're sold. Like when I bought mine, it still had the the wrap on the parts that they didn't want to get scratched and the uh, the hand guards weren't on the windshield wasn't on yet it was they had just like wheeled it out onto the showroom floor the day i walked in there and said you know here i want to trade my 750 for the 850 and he put <laughs> my name on it basically so it's like it's insane the the people that are buying bikes and how quick they're selling out i mean even like the honda dealer i bought a a 250L last year because I wanted to go exploring and do like BDR stuff. And I didn't want to take my 750 because it's I bought it for sport touring, not for, you know, ADV. And now so, look at you. Yeah. But, uh, well, the, I mean, he's had, he's can't keep bikes in stock up there either. It's just, and he's a, a little dealership. But I mean, I'm so happy for him that he's selling bikes, but it's it's also kind of scary because. Well, here's the way I look at it. You tell an American you got to stay in your home. Don't talk to nobody. Don't touch nobody. You just sit in front of the two box and will infiltrate your mind, invade your ear holes. And what us Americans do, we're going to buy RVs and dirt bikes and motorcycles and we're getting the hell out into the wilderness. So they can't keep up with our demand, I think. That's just my humble opinion, but <laughs> no, I think you've nailed it right on the head. People are getting out because they said hey. don't go to shopping centers and stuff. They didn't say go don't go to state parks. Call it go. cabin yeah. fever. I mean, we can't be locked up for too long. We go nuts. Yeah. <clears throat> well, like even like our triumph dealer, um they have I mean, they were selling scramblers like the bigger 1200 XCs, the off-road scrambler, they were being sold to normal people that were just using them as street bikes. Like that's Man. a big off-road motorcycle. And I mean, I've ridden them on the street. Like, you know, it's a cool, fun commuter bike, but they were selling to people who were riding them, you know, two, three, 400 miles, you know, kind of like a, like a Harley, like a cruiser. And you're like, man, that there's other bikes out there for that, but they can't find them. Yeah. And the the used market is insane because I, I ended up buying a brand new CRF 250L because the used ones were going for 45, 48, five grand. And they're like 2013 to 2016s. It's like, I can just walk into the dealer and buy a brand new one for 5,100. Yep. Yeah. I was looking at a DRZ 400 yesterday, a used one. The guy wanted five grand for it. I'm like, I can go buy a brand new one for 6,300. <laughs> Right. Like, come on. Yeah. So I wonder in a couple years if we'll have a a lot to choose from if, if a lot of these will be used bikes, you know, if, if things turn around here. That's kind of what I'm hoping for. <laughs> well, what I was kind of wondering was, you know, when people start going back to work and start, you know, going back to their normal life and all of a sudden, you know, people are too busy to ride, are we gonna see a surplus of used bikes out there? I'm hoping so. 
<laughs> I am too, because I, mean, I would like to fill the garage with two or three more. <laughs> yeah, at affordable prices. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm hoping that after buying the 850, that uh, the wife is going to want to learn and she can learn on the 250. So we can explore some back roads together and, you know, don't have to worry about what's down that road because both bikes <laughs> are capable. Since we've got uh, adventure riders and street riders and everybody in the house, I'll throw out a question. What do you guys think about teaching a, a new rider? Like my wife wants to learn to ride. I've been looking. Uh, she likes the uh, Royal Enfield Himalayan, I think it is. I don't know much about the bike, so I just didn't know if either of you two have any experience or thoughts on that. So I actually wrote a blog entry about that. <laughs> um I was given a 2020 Royal Enfield to demo for a day. And let's put it this way. If I had $4,000 laying around, I would have one in my garage. Oh, um, wow. And not, not as a bike that I would ride every day. It's more of a, a second light adventure, mini dual sport type bike. Like it's, yes, it's quirky. It has its okay. faults. But for $4,000, you're getting a motorcycle that can almost go anywhere, run on any type of gasoline. Like, it's very basic to work on. I mean, it's it's hard to argue against them. Interesting. I mean, I thought you'd go the other way. Oh, heck no. But no, that's good to hear because, I mean, number one, sounds more affordable than a lot of the bikes we've been talking about. Yeah. And number two, I mean, the wife might love it and ride every day with me, but she might not, you know, so that type of investment. And I like to go anywhere, I'm not saying she would, but to have right. the option with her first bike. I mean, I saw, you know, itchy boots. I don't know. Probably all seen itchy boots. It's where she kind of probably got the idea, but just thinking about it a little bit more, affordable, yeah, like you said, easy to work on and. Yeah, they're good little bikes. I mean, I was, when I first got on it, I was like, it's only a 410cc bike. This thing's going to be a dog. I can't, I won't be able to do anything. But I mean, on the road, 5055, it's, it's a fun little, fun little bike. You get it off the pavement on a dirt road, you can have a lot of fun on a bike like that. Perfect. And you said the magic word 55, because I don't need the wife being a speed demon like she is in the car. <laughs> so 55, 60, that's probably good for that bike. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was a it was a fun bike. Like my father, you know, both of my parents, they're uh they're like RV nomads and they used to ride when I was a kid. So like right now they've they're on like year three of no motorcycles. And my oh, dad my has God. always said, you know, I'd like to have a Himalayan and keep it at your house. And I'm like, that would be very dangerous. Cause I would probably be riding the Himalayan a lot more than, you know, the tiger some days, but uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're fun little bikes, very underrated for what they can do. That's awesome. Yeah. But we so don't, don't have... have to buy $25,000 bikes your first time people. That's kind of what we're getting at. You can yeah. have fun on, you can have fun on a lot of these. 
Well, unless you're getting into the big 1200s, you're not really spending 25. I mean, the the Tiger 8 900s, they're about the same price as BMWs, they're around 15, 16, you know. So. Well, the other thing, like, and that's one thing I, I kind of talk to, like, a lot of people down here is when they're getting ready to buy their bikes. Cause I've had a lot of people who they're street riders, like, hey, I want to buy a, my first adventure bike. I'm thinking about buying a GS 1200. Like, well, why do you want the GS 1200? Well, because I have a 1200 Ninja or I have a, you know, a Gixxer 1000. Like, a thousand cc's on a dirt and a thousand cc's on a sport bike is totally different. And Holy. like, once I kind of explained that to him, I'm like, look, I have a Tiger 900. And, there, and I was like, you think that's a fast bike? I'm like, that thing tops out like 130 miles an hour. You know, it's a monster, you know, down low with the torque, but on top end, it is, it, it can barely get, get out of its way. And, and when they hear that, they're like, are you serious? Cause like my 900 CBR, you know, will go like a buck 90. Like, no, it's a totally different world when you start playing with torque and you start playing with, you know, reliability. Cause you're going from a race bike more to essentially a big dirt bike. Yeah. Off-road torque is king not uh not 190 miles an hour <laughs> can you get yeah. up the hill without killing your bike but when you're off like, road you're, you're looking at like 25 miles an hour i mean you're not really going any faster than that or you're you're not on you know off road you're on dirt roads dirt roads okay yeah maybe you're a little faster but like off road 25 is very fast into any technical stuff definitely yeah and then the other All thing right. i tried to explain oh. to people too is i was like look go buy a 650 thumper i mean go buy a klr go buy a cr6 i think they're cr650 l's or a dr650 i mean you're going or in seven. paying three grand for one they're bulletproof mm -hmm. if you don't like it you're going to get your three grand back right and now and is a good super time. easy to work on. Now is a good time. You would get your money back real quick now <laughs> yep. with the bike market. So yeah, I like my thumper. Find one. It's a little more than three grand, but I love my thumper. Like I had a KLR for four years. That was my first quote unquote big bike. And that was the <clears> bike <throat> I did a lot of, you know, touring on. I did a lot of trips on and in the end, like I rode that bike from Minnesota to South Carolina. And in the end, I was like, okay, I'm ready to move up to a bigger bike now because, you know, I want a little bit more power. I want a little luxury, you know, cruise control would be nice for sometimes. So that's why I jumped from a, from a 650, but those 650 thumpers, I mean, you can't kill them. They're indestructible and they'll take you anywhere. Right. That's awesome. Hit, he said the hit, Baltimore word. <laughs> yeah, you hit Cody's trigger word. <laughs> don't you know? <laughs> Minnesota, Minnesota, don't you know? Minnesota yeah, we ate were, me up. <laughs> the look on his face. Me out. Oh, that that was what? my whole family. We were up there for three years. And so we moved up there in 2016, had a very mild winter. The next winter was very mild. Our last winter there was the polar vortex where it was like negative 39 with the wind chill. Oh, which everybody says normal. Shoot me now. Yep. My in-laws lived like two or three miles up the road from us. 
And my wife, you know, and they're everyone, they're all from Colorado, but they're from Southern Colorado in the, in the desert and the branch land. So cold to them is like 30 degrees. So, close, you know, we get up there New where Mexico. it's negative 39 and, you know, we got like 14 feet of snowpack and they're like, we, we want to move to the South. Like, okay, <laughs> let's go. Negative 39. I would honestly pay whatever money I had in my pocket to a sniper to just take me out. I could not do that. <laughs> and like, I'm like, just, just do it. Take me to pasture. I'm done. This is too cold. <laughs> and like when you would hear, Oh, it's too cold to snow. Like, is that possible? And yeah, it would be like negative 20 out. And you're like, well, I guess we don't have to worry about getting snow tonight. Yeah. I saw big, big diesel trucks out on the lakes you know, dropping their fishing lines in there. So it gets cold. Yeah. Yes. It was five degrees when my truck broke down in Minnesota this year. But I will say Minnesota, you know, it's a, it's a sportsman state. It's very friendly to ATVs and snowmobiles. Not a big off-road motorcycle state. Whereas Wisconsin is the exact opposite. Wisconsin is like the dual sport mecca of the Northern Midwest. Really? That's interesting. I was telling the people there about my bike that I ride, you know, on road, off road. And they just looked at me like, like they'd had too much to drink, which I knew wasn't a thing because they could out drink anybody. That I... Oh yeah. <laughs> Their welcome was here's 191 proof Everclear. It's how we <laughs> keep warm. They said, <laughs> yep. but yeah, that's cool. The KLR. I mean, that's what I was looking at when I ended up with my 701. Um, the 701 just, was too good of a deal to pass up but otherwise i would have ended up on a kale 650 so and they, they do go anywhere they've been around forever yep you can't yeah. kill them either <laughs> and then they got taken away and now they got brought back i think right yeah yep. what, they come back i think this september i wonder if they fixed the little uh cam doohickey problem mm-hmm. yeah the doohickey in the the motor <laughs> Uh, we'll find out. I've everything I've read so far basically is they took the same exact engine, modernized it with fuel injection, you know, made it a little bit lighter. But I mean, it sounds like it's the same exact bike with just random like Euro five LED emissions. Dash. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious to see uh see them come out. I mean, and they're priced, you know, seven grand brand for a brand new bike. That's not a bad yeah. deal. No, that's, that's attractive, not- you know attractive especially for those of us like you were saying want extra things in the garage hmm? <laughs> a little big for the wife though cody yeah well tell, i'll tell her grow, i'll tell her to grow up and then my head get smacked again <laughs> oh, that's funny so how how long have you been out where you're at now so i've been out here since oh geez 2019 so September is when we moved out here. Just before COVID. Yes. Yep. Yeah, it was uh it was actually kind of interesting when I had to fly back to close on our house in Minnesota in Minneapolis. And I flew back two days early because Hurricane Dorian was coming up the coast. And it was more of a, I didn't want to, you know, risk getting, you know, flight cancellations and all that. So 
my in-laws and my, my wife and my, my son kind of went and hunkered down and, you know, inland somewhere. And I was on a plane to Minnesota and to close in a house, pick up my KLR and ride back to South Carolina. (laughs) Oh, geez. Oh, damn. Yeah. It must've been kind of cold when you started out. Oh, well, no, it was, uh, I want to say I left September 7th. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it was still, I mean, mornings were chilly, but, uh, my trip actually did not go the way I wanted it to. (laughs) I mean, kind of like your, your podcast that you released a couple hours ago about how adventures never go the way you want them to. (laughs) They don't. (laughs) I, uh, I had the wife talked into, you know, giving me 14 days where I was going to basically haul across the Northern Midwest to Elmira, New York. And then I was going to ride the mid Atlantic BDR down to Damascus, Virginia. And then I was going to work my way to Charleston, South Carolina somehow. And that idea went out the window like day three. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, Is that uh, weather or COVID or? No, it was more of um uh, so my, my wife works in the medical field and we had, our son was like two at the time. So she's dealing with he was basically kicking her, kicking her ass. So she's like, you need to get home soon. So I'm like, okay, fair enough. I need some help. You know, yeah. Calling for backup. I get it. But I mean, even then like that trip, I think it was six days is what it took me. But I mean, I, when I remapped out my route, I took mostly back roads and gravel, like farm dirt roads, you know, through Indiana, Kentucky, um, Tennessee, North Carolina. I mean, I was only on the highway maybe for like a total of 300 miles on an entire trip. That's nice. beautiful. That is absolutely so, beautiful. Yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. That's how I need to learn how to travel. But it would take me quite a while to get to you, Chappie, by doing like the uh, transcontinental. Yeah, I, it's funny because I just, you know, not that long ago, talked to the wife about maybe I'm going out to Utah maybe next year or the year <laughs> after. And asked her, so do you want to come along? And she was like, well, maybe. And I'm like, yeah, it's like 36 hours on the highway. So. It'll probably be, you know, two, maybe three days out. And she goes, no, I'm not doing highway. <laughs> hey, that's what my wife said. I I told you the story, but I threw her on the back of the 701. And uh, I had taken her around the neighborhood and she just wasn't like thrilled, you know. So I'm like, okay, this time I'm getting it. So I'm doing like 90 miles an hour on interstate. I'm like, ah, I'm showing off. She's squeezing me. I'm like, oh, yeah, my lady's loving this. Rah! Semis are closing in on us and stuff. I get home. She pulls her helmet off, and she is bawling, tears streaming down her face. I was not winning Damn. that battle. Apparently scaring the crap out of her. <laughs> so she doesn't like the uh, interstate no. stuff. She's. She's more into the to the back back roads or you know roads that run along highways I guess or old interstate roads, right? Stuff without semis where you don't have to do ninety miles an hour I guess are more appealing to her now. 
Yeah, no, highways are not fun. Not on a bike. Especially like an adventure bike with knobby tires because you're yes. not really planted. You're kind of like bouncing around everywhere. No, no matter how big your bike is, you're all, it always feels like that for some reason. I agree. And I always have at least semi-nobbies, if not full-on nobbies on my bikes because yep. it makes you get a little crazy. But yeah, on the road, whew, not too fun. <laughs> oh. Your hands going numb. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't done the ADV bike nobbies. Um, I got the, what are they, the Anarchy 3s on the, the 850. And I had full-on street tires on the 750 because... I mean, that's what I was bought for, but the dual sport, the Honda, it's got, I don't know what the hell it's got for tires, but they're like a 50, 50 tire. It's not bad, but I also don't spend a whole lot of time on pavement. So I try to avoid the highway like a plague. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's more dangerous on a motorcycle because you get sucked under the big trucks or well speaking of dangerous cody Cody with his wind sorry sorry here (laughs) i went to pick my truck up well have it towed yesterday two hours from home same guy that picked me up a year ago when my truck broke down two years ago yeah two years ago i was going to the same place coming back same place same guy but he was kind enough because I had my 701 there. That's how I was getting home. He was kind enough to pull out his phone and say, well, did you hear about those uh, BMWs today? I said, no. Let me just show you what I picked up today. Because it's where I'm coming home. It's a long canyon. It's beautiful road. Lots of twisties. Anyway, he shows me his truck. Uh, two BMW bikes laid down on his tow truck. And he told me the story. One of the guys slid going around the corner. He slid. He slid his bike, let the bike go, basically kind of stood up or was pushed up to watch his bike go off the cliff. Uh, He walked away. His friend tried to ride it out, slid, and went off the cliff and was life lighted out. (laughs) But this is what he shows me right before I go down the canyon <laughs> so let's yeah. just say i was not on the gas so much that <laughs> I, I never understood the, the the people that they'll see on a bike and or they'll hear that you ride a bike and they oh you know it's very dangerous or you're gonna die on that thing it's like it's possible yeah but why would you say stuff like that to people why do you point that stuff out why do you have to show somebody the gruesome pictures all over the internet i believe it's their way of justifying why they're not having as much fun as us yeah some people don't don't want to live yeah Yeah, but don't shove that stuff in my face it's it's kind of i think all all of us here are cut from kind of a similar cloth you know we we have to get out and live a little yeah I mean, I don't want to see somebody that's been mauled by a bear either. It's just, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that kind of stuff. Depends on the person. I know a few that I might throw in. No, I'm kidding. I'm no, kidding. I mean, I don't want to see what it looks like after. Uh, <laughs> motorcycle crash, bear. I don't care. I don't want to see that stuff. 
I don't know. I figure he just thinks I'm good business because every two years he has to talk to me a hundred miles home. So he doesn't want me to crash. <laughs> You're a repeat customer. <laughs> exactly. I'm getting a frequent flyer uh, card. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's funny shit. So Dana, what, uh, what's your favorite motorcycle memory? Ooh, I know that's, that's a tough, tough one. one. So I'm going to say the first time I rode the Colorado BDR, um, I had been riding on dirt probably for four months at that time. And I had a 2007 Yamaha XT 225. And I, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are like, oh, it's a little bike. It's a girl's bike. You know, it's not a true dual sport. I mean, it is in every means. It's just, it's a 225. It has no power, but it'll go anywhere. But, uh, I lived in Southern in Colorado Springs at the time and I rode it, you know, topped out at 57 miles an hour. I rode it down to Durango to four corners where the Colorado BDR starts. And that took me like forever. And when I got down there, I had the Butler map for the BDR. I didn't have a GPS. I, I literally navigated by the map and it was a, it was one of those trips that I took where I wasn't in over my head, but I was pretty close in some areas. (laughs) Um, But it was one of those trips that I look back on and it's like, man, I I really wish I could do that again because now I would do it totally differently. (laughs) Right. We should go. That's on my bucket list. Well, actually, let me rephrase that because I've I've done the Colorado BDR twice. I did the second time on my KLR and it was a lot different. I, I think I had more fun doing it on a smaller bike. I mean, a little 225, I mean, you cut into the mountain passes. I mean, the thing weighs like 250, 300 pounds fully loaded. I was throwing that little thing around. Um, I mean, blowing through snow drifts because I also went early June. So, I mean, I had a lot of fun. Now, the KLR did it in like seven days, whereas the XT took me, I think, nine or ten. But, I mean, it was, I mean, it was a good trip. It was a fun little bike to, to do it on. Nice. That's awesome. This is so strange to me because two years ago, I two or two, three years ago, I was a homebody. I didn't leave the house. Literally, I was scared to leave the house. And now you're saying like Durango, Colorado. And like I just met my buddy Tim down in Durango in September of last year. So hearing places people have been and actually being there now have been there is pretty cool. And that's a fun little town an area we went through Pagosa Springs and yep. explored some hills where we were in over our heads, actually. <laughs> but sometimes that's fun. Depends on the personality, I guess. <laughs> so my last duty station was in Colorado Springs. And what better place to get into off-road riding than that than Colorado? So like every weekend, like I wasn't married at the time. So like my, my girlfriend, fiance, soon to be wife. I was like, Oh, you're working this weekend. All right. I'm on the bike. And I would literally like pick a direction and go. And I was riding, you know, mining roads and mining trails. I found some very challenging single track that I had no business being on, but uh, no, I mean, it was a great place to ride. And then, you know, by the time we moved in 2016, I mean, I thought I had ridden everything out there. 
I didn't make a dent in it. Like there's still places I find now. I'm like, man, I really want to go back there and ride it again sometime. Yeah. It, it's awesome. We went to, I think it was called Silverton mine or something like that. Yep. And uh, we didn't, we didn't really have a plan. We were just looking for old ghost towns or old mines. We didn't even have really a map and you can go anywhere, but like he, like you're saying, you can get in over your head pretty darn quickly out in Colorado too. It's yep. climb a thousand feet in uh, less than a mile sometimes. And it gets, it gets fun, but it's beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. And then you at Utah next door. Like I did some riding, um, on the Cocopelli trail, it basically goes from Montrose to Moab and there's parts where it's pretty, I mean, the, the declines down towards like the Colorado river area. I mean, you're coming down some pretty nasty, rocky areas. And I mean, I think at the time I had no business being there. Now I'd like to go back on like a WR 250 or, you know, a lighter bike to see how my skills would handle up out there. But I mean, it, even that, that was a heck of a lot of fun out there. Oh yeah. So I'm, I'm from Utah. So I've ridden the BDR twice and ride all over this place. And it, it's awesome from red rocks to Colorado ish mountains. And, but yeah, you can get in over your head pretty much anywhere over in the yeah. West, probably back East too. I just haven't been there yet. And that's yeah. one thing, like even out here, like I tell people, like you know, everyone's like South Carolina's flat. Like we have mountains, they're just not big mountains. But like you get out towards the western part of the state, towards the Georgia border, I mean, you start getting into the Appalachians. I mean, you can get in some pretty yeah. interesting single track trails out there. Are we going through the Appalachians, Chappie? Uh, yeah, parts of them in in Virginia. They they run from Georgia all the way up, I think, to the Canadian border, pretty much. I was just watching the ginseng, ginseng show today for you, Chappie. <laughs> one of my guy. favorite, uh, one of my favorite guilty pleasures, the Appalachian Mountains, where they go illegally sourced ginseng. <laughs> Our weekend we spent out there three weeks ago. We were in northern Georgia. And we were actually like where Northern, where Georgia, South Carolina, and North Carolina all link up. And then even then Tennessee is only like 50 miles away. So, you know, right. we're riding off road back there and all that. And I'm it, like, it was like the movie deliverance. Oh like, boy. You know that there was mountain men out there somewhere watching. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was very interesting in some areas. My good buddy tells me when you go on these mountain trips, be careful. Remember the movie Deliverance. <laughs> yep. Thanks, thanks for that one. <laughs> yeah, ho- hopefully uh, we won't run into any of that stuff. Yeah, no squealing. Okay. <laughs> so we'd like to have the guests do like a lightning round to ask you a few questions and just say first thing that pops into your head. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Dirt or street? Dirt. Uh, favorite band to listen to on the bike? Oh, uh, it depends on what I'm doing. If I'm riding aggressive, if I'm riding technical stuff, I will listen to like, um, I got a playlist. That's like a bunch of like static X disturbed Metallica, stuff like that. If I'm just cruising around, I'll listen to like Darius Rucker and country music. Nice. nice. I love it. A lot of my playlists. Uh, highway or the long way? Long way. 
<laughs> uh, when you're riding, do you think going through your head? Would you think speed or freedom? Uh, I kind of like freedom, but it is nice going fast at times. <laughs> right. Uh, camp or hotel? Camp. Yeah. All right. And then uh, two-parter. Most important thing not to skimp on. Uh, camping item. I'd say a sleeping bag. And then uh, motorcycle gear item. Um, tank bag. <laughs> tank bag. All right. Yep. Got to awesome. have your tank back. I got to throw one yes. in. It just hit me when you asked him this question. Yeah. Speed or freedom? It depends what I've been doing. If I'm coming from the Butch Cassidy hideout and I've been nefariously doing anything, sometimes speed equals freedom. Got to get away. So, uh, I had to make you put your hand on your head. At least yes. once, Chappy. I usually do it more than once. The camping question, that's a good one. That kind of threw me for a loop there. I like your answer. Because if you got a crappy sleeping bag, you might not be sleeping well at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, I'm one of, uh, I think you had, you guys had them on a couple of weeks ago. I'm one of Ben's um, ambassadors for Moto Camp Nerd. And I'm the only one of his ambassadors that actually writes. I don't do YouTube because that's an art and time that I just don't have. It is a time. <laughs> but him and I were talking quite a bit and he, he likes to pick my brain a lot because I've done a lot of camping and bivouacking in colder weather environments up in Alaska or the Cascades or Colorado. And he, and he's always asked, you know, what did, you know, what did you use, you know, on a civilian side and in the military side? And I, that's, we used a lot of big Agnes products, which he just started to carry a couple of weeks ago, months ago, nice. actually. And for him to hear like, you know, Hey, we, like I have used a big Agnes sleeping bag at like, you know, 15 degrees in the Cascade mountains, you know, he's like, all right, at least I know I'm selling a quality product yeah. to people out there. And when he started getting into the big Agnes, that's how I knew he was real moto camp nerd. Yeah. I, I was questioning him at first. I'm like, who is this new guy? What the heck? And I started looking what he's getting. He's awesome. Like I got one of the black tail two hotels. And I think I was one of the first ones to get one. I was just reading and, your blog on that before I got on. I was that's and, why I was a little late. I was like, it, it, I gotta know something about this guy. It, it's an amazing tent. I mean, unfortunately, I've only used it for a night, but I mean, when he started selling stuff like that, I'm like, all right, now this is now you're going places. This is where you know when people can see like a bike pack tent that can fit into a rolly bag or a paneer, like that. That's where that's where you're going to make your money right there. Game changer. That's what I call it. I just got blacktail hotel three today. Huh? And I mean, I I, I've seen, no, I got it uh, yesterday. I've seen pictures and videos and stuff and like seeing the size of the thing doesn't compute. I mean, when I saw the box sitting on the table and it's got a French press in it, it's got other things in it. It's like, there's no way he must not have sent the tent. It's missing something. It's Where, like, where's the poles? <laughs> all my tent no, videos. I, mean, I couldn't believe it. Believe me, Chappie. All of those tent videos. It's, I spent. It's not easy to life. tell how big it is. It still yeah. looks bigger in the pictures and stuff than it does when you're holding it in your so hand. So I hear. <laughs> I'm sorry. You you put that one right there. I. It's true. 
watching the YouTube video doesn't tell you how cool it is. These big Agnes bike packing tents. I don't think I've been so excited for a piece of gear for moto camping since I saw the bike packing tent. It's just like they yeah, weren't really thinking of us motorcyclists, but they were. They just didn't know it. Yeah. And like I've my previous tent was an REI uh camp dome too, little two-man dome tent. And it's a pretty small tent, you know, easy to take on a bike, but the poles are 16 inch poles. Whereas that bike pack tent, those things are tiny. 12 inches. I love it. I have a question. You said bivouacking. You slept in a bivy in military or civilian or both? Yeah, for both. Um, I had a, I want to say it was a North Face. It was a higher end bivy cover or bivy sack, whatever they're called. Mm -hmm. Um, I used it in Colorado probably three or four times when I was doing, um, I was riding like single track and two track up at high elevations and we were dispersed camping like in the middle of nowhere. So the bivvies were very handy because they're so small. So small. Yeah. You could bring a dome tent, but when you're running a, I mean, I was running that 225. So, I mean, I had, you know, I had that bivy, I had, you know, a small sleeping bag and my jet boil. And that was it in my backpack. And that was all I needed. But I mean, you yeah. get, you know, an actual dome tent. Now you're okay. Where, where are the poles going to stick out? So, exactly. but yeah, the bivvies were great. See, I keep trying to get myself down to that jet boil in the backpack, the bivy and the small sleeping bag. And I, I'm getting <laughs> used to the bivy. I've got one. It's a black diamond. It has one little hoop, but the bivy right over the face, man, I just, I can't, but I keep trying because that's appealing. Like those things are the smallest thing you can pack. Like I could ride my 300 two stroke and just have the bivy a sleeping bag and a jet boil with a mountain house and be good to go. You know, it, it, it's, it can be comfortable, but it's more of the bare bones survival. Like it's the most minimal thing I need to survive to get me out of the elements to sleep. And exactly. I mean, Not there's the times where I used it and it's like, I used it. I didn't enjoy it, but it worked. It kept me dry. And then there's other times where I've used it. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. You know, I'm going to use this more often than I'm like, well, where am I going to store my stuff? So Yeah, it, <laughs> it doesn't keep thinking. your gear or anything clean or no. dry. So that, it's just interesting. I haven't met many people that uh, have bivvied or bivouacked. Uh, I had a bivy and Tim Collins actually slept in it one night out of a challenge in 28 degrees. He said he sweat all night. Hmm. Kept him toasty really? warm. <laughs> Now, one of the things I've seen down here with our little moto camp trips is we have a lot of guys who are hammock campers. Well, they'll throw up a hammock with a tarp or rain fly and they'll sleep in that. And I mean, that and their setup's really small to pack down. Yeah. Hammocks are comfy. I've tried them a couple of times. You just got to know that you got trees. That's the key. Yeah. (laughs) Otherwise, you're basically sleeping in a baby anyway. (laughs) All right. What does that little bastard say, Chappie? I don't know. And we have an elf for him? We could do an elf, yes. We could. Or we can do an elf. It's usually just after the lightning round, you give me the eyebrow raise. It's time for the elf. <laughs> eyebrow. Well, I was just thinking, I mean, we got on the subject of Moto Camp Nerd. I ordered over the Memorial Day weekend, I ordered my tent. It was on its way Tuesday. 
I had it Thursday, which it's insane because he works when he was on here. He said he works a night shift. So he works 40 plus hours a week. And for me to get my stuff in two days with the, you know, Memorial Day holiday weekend, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Ben's not messing around. No, it's, it's, uh, it's awesome. So that and, uh, Mototomic, if anybody wants to use our discount code, it works at both places, uh, throttled ADV, T-H-R-O-T-T-L-E-D-A-D-V. Uh, you can save 20% over at Mototomic. They've got dry bags, hoodies, t-shirts, stickers, keychains coming. He just posted that up a few days ago. Yeah, it got some small. cool. Yeah. Uh, so you can save the gas on that. Ah, the gas can hoodie is so comfortable that if you ever break up with your significant other, that better be the first thing you grab because they'll be taking it. That's how nice it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're not getting hugs from somebody else, that thing will hug you for all day. But uh, yeah, I, I can't speak highly enough of the quality. I'm uh, in my sleep, eat, ride, repeat shirt today. It's the quality is unmatched. Uh, for anywhere that I've gotten motorcycle apparel, you know, like t-shirts and stuff, they're not this high quality usually. And then if you use the same code over at Moto Camp Nerd, you can pick up a discount of 10% on camping gear that is handpicked to fit on your motorcycle. It's smaller pack size, it's lighter weight quality, and it is high quality stuff as well. They both ride and they're both small businesses. So if they're cut from the same cloth as all of us. They want to help you out. You should help them out. Check them out. Definitely. Check them out. If you like something you see, use the discount code and save a little bit of cash. Put it in your tank. Or send it to Chappie and he'll send it to me. Yeah, just, not happening. Just kidding. Just kidding. Why am I your go-between for money? <laughs> because the second I get it, it's gone. You know this. <laughs> No, I'm thinking you just don't want Biden to get his hooks in you with his taxes. You told me we weren't talking about that anymore. Other style. <laughs> oh, I'm just teasing. Freedom, baby. All freedom. right. What if? Okay, here comes the what if elf motherfucker to your house. What if? So we'll let our guest pick. We've got uh, four what if questions. Pick a number from one to four. Uh, let's go with number two. All right. <laughs> now I'm curious oh. the other three. Ah, <laughs> uh, this is a good one. He always what scares if? me. Well, they're all, I mean, they're usually. They're usually all pretty good. You They're look just... at it like it's an answer that I'm not going to be able to come up with. Every time we do this, you make me nervous. I know, but every time <laughs> I give you one, you come up with this simple-ass answer in the beginning, and I got to make oh, you like oh. explain about it. Come on, Cody. Give me more. Vagina. But no, <laughs> I'm, I got you. Uh, what if you could go back and tell your younger self one thing? What would it be? It can be motorcycle related or not motorcycle related. It's entirely up to you. So looking back, my biggest regret riding wise is I did not get into adventure riding 
when I was stationed in Seattle. I spent four years stationed out just south of Seattle near Tacoma. And looking back at all the stuff that we see now, you know, at the Giant Loop Rally, the riding in Oregon, the riding in the Cascades and all that, I really wish I had a bike back then and rode, you know, all over the place out there because I had plenty of time to do it. But that that's one thing I do regret. That's a good one. Awesome. Yeah. What about you, Chad? What about you, Cody? You want me to go next? Yeah. Uh, I would go back and find my young 20-year-old self and tell him, when you go riding with the wife, take it slow and make it about her. Because uh, she tried to ride when we were in the young, you know. And I just, you know, I was a stupid teenage, you know, 20-year-old boy. 21. Yeah, and it was just, you know, the guys are there and it's just like get on the bike and gone type of thing, you know. I think that's a good one. Maybe something uh, I need to hear since I'm just going to go do that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, now I wish, you know. Because then she would know how to ride already. Now I'm trying to get her to do it again. She's had the thoughts, but I'm a little wiser to think that, you know, I'm going to take her out riding. It needs to be about her. Well, I'd just say go kiss more girls. I mean, <laughs> after that, uh, my biggest riding regret. I'm going to make it two parts. Sorry, Chappie, but first thing I would do is tell myself before every adventure, it's going to work out. Don't tell yourself that. Because every adventure I go on, I think I'm in a near-death experience at some point. But the other thing would be uh, my first adventure ride in Idaho on the BDR. I was a little nervous. Mm -hmm. I was invited to go. I could have met Tim up at the top and done the whole BDR. I was a little nervous and uh, met him halfway down and Idaho BDR. Everything for the rest of my life will be measured against that. That's how much I enjoyed it, how beautiful it was. And so I'd kick my ass, say, quit being a sissy, get up there. And I'd have gone up a few days earlier and done the whole thing. That is one of my top five bucket list trips is the Idaho BDR. You got to do it, man. If you, if you only do one, seriously, it's, oh. it's that good. Like I did the Colorado oh. BDR twice. It was beautiful. It was great. I did New Mexico, but Idaho, I mean, uh, that's just, it's magical. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know how to explain it. It's just, I live in Salt Lake right by the mountains. I'm in the mountains all the time. Being in Idaho on that route, oh my God, it's just otherworldly. It's it's amazing. So nice. I need to quit saying that so it doesn't turn into rush hour traffic. But seriously, you <laughs> you should put that high on your bucket list. It's awesome. Yeah, it's in my okay, top so what's five. Part for two. Sure. <laughs> part two. It had just been kiss more girls. Ah. <laughs> 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 oh. Or watch out, watch out for your bass player that stole your girlfriend when you're 18. You should just kick his ass now. That would be the other one. 
<laughs> yeah, but if that didn't happen, you would probably wouldn't have met him. Yeah, that, that's true. But I would feel better as a man that I kicked his ass before he ran off. <laughs> but yeah, good point. Good point. No, I don't. Oh, I don't regret shit. anything. Usually, other than just uh, not just jumping in, hesitating a little awesome. bit, just jump in and go live life. You know. Awesome. Well, man, I didn't know much about you. I was trying to scroll through your blog and check you out before I came on. I'm really happy we met and uh, glad that you came on. Yeah, I've got another blog entry. It should be hitting this weekend or early next week about riding in southeastern Colorado. Yeah, just I love how just how people can connect through that blog because I've met so many people across the country and even across the world where they'll ask something simple and it's like, all right, fair enough. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to see what I can answer for you. Crazy. I mean, I uh, answered a question from somebody. They're going to come to Utah BDR next week and they are from Yorkshire. I don't know what it is. Sounds like Graham Jarvis proper. <laughs> I think it's over in uh, UK. Yeah. But uh, I couldn't even find it on the map. Anyway, they're, I answered their question. They're going to be here next week. And they're like, we have this uh, cabin rented. Why don't you come down for two days? We got plenty of room for you. Come down. Come ride with us for two days. We'd like to meet you. Just because I answered a simple question on like Facebook. What the hell? It blows my mind. It's motor moto community. Awesome. So, also, if I end up murdered or anything, you guys know I was with the Yorkshire Boys. <laughs> the Yorkshire Boys. Uh, I'll be following your blog for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, for anybody that didn't catch it earlier, it's uh, strikeradv.com with a Y. Oh, yes. Yes, S-T-R-Y-K-E-R-A-D-V.com. Chappie told me strike or ADV, yeah. and I'm like, I can't find this guy, Chappie. What are you talking about? Are you pulling a fast one on me? <laughs> and then he oh. sent me your Instagram. <laughs> Definitely check it out, though. I see he's got the tent on there currently. Yes. Yep. Well, yeah, so thank you so much for joining us. We'll have to revisit this maybe towards the end of summer and share stories. Yeah, catch up on your adventures. Yeah, no yeah. problem. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you get up to Idaho or decide to, give me a shout. Yeah. Or the (laughs) the NEBDR, you know, I'm in the area. So if you decide to come up this way and do that, right here in the middle of section three. So fair enough. Hope everybody enjoyed listening to you know this episode. And until next week, for Dana and Cody. Into your adventure, baby. Grab that throttle. Get the hell out of here.